Hello and welcome to the Date Night Movie Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Russell, and with me is my co-host, Ashley Russell. And producer. Co-host and producer. There you go. Normally, this is a show where Ashley and I, we would talk about a new movie that's playing in theaters, and we would debate whether or not it would make for a good date movie. But on this special bonus episode, we're going to actually be talking about one of our own movies. This is a movie that we made. It's called Tiny Dancers, and it's streaming right now on Amazon Prime. This is a, a movie that we shot a little while back. and Only we, a couple years. We were, <laughs> we, we were finally able to finish and release it this year. And so the point of this episode is to kind of tell people what the movie is, why we made it, how we made it, and why we think people should check it out. Yeah. But let's just kind of sum up the plot of this movie. The synopsis is an exotic dancer named Melody Daniels is arrested for drunk driving. And for community service, she's obligated to train a group of kids for an upcoming dance competition. And the best cross comparison I can think of would be like a Bad Santa meets Dance Moms. Let's, uh, let's play a trailer. How can I help you, officer? Yeah. Please return your office to file the court, please. decided not to enforce restrictive service hours on you. Awesome. What does that mean? I see in your employment record that you've been dancing for over 10 years. So what are you doing now? I'm still dancing. Our junior dances. Really? This is your new dance instructor, Melody Daniels. Are you a dancer? Of course I'm a dancer. You think you get an ass this good just by sitting in an office? Miss Daniels over here for her day job goes and shows her tips to everyone down at the Cheetah Lounge. That is a lie. I do not show my tips to anyone unless they have a fifty dollar cover. I don't want my daughter taking dance lessons from a fripper! Come down. No! Oh, hell no! I'm here to enroll in the junior dance competition for my dance class. Do dance class? Yeah, I do volunteer work with retarded kids. You sure a dance competition is the best idea for these kids? No, but it's the best thing I can think of. I didn't know better. I'd say you look like someone who is actually starting to enjoy themselves. Hop in, kitties! Is this safe? Who's ready to dance? So, yeah, the journey of making this film, it began, you know, what feels like a long, long time ago. It was back in 2015. You and I, we were living in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. Yep. And we had recently made a short film called Beach House. And we were trying to get a feature project going with our main actor from that film, Sheena. The feature we were developing, it would have required a budget over a million yeah, I mean, it, it would it have ended up been, not coming together. I mean, obviously, I mean, yeah. 
financing any film, it, it's it's tricky, especially with uh, an indie and without, I guess, like certain names attached, it can be definitely an uphill battle. But in the aftermath of that, I realized if I wanted to get a feature off the ground, I had to think smaller. And it had to be something within the confines that you and I could pull off, you know, even without outside financial assistance, yeah. if we were ever going to do it. So, yeah, around this time, for whatever reason, you and I, we had been watching a lot of Dance Moms. I was obsessed with this show. It's, you, enter- you, it's an entertaining well, show. Yeah, you came in when I was watching this show, and you're, you were just flabbergasted by, like, Abby Lee, and you got into it with me, just so that I think you thought that screaming coaches and all of that was just... You couldn't believe it. I was like, well, this is how I grew up. This is how my dance team was. This is how my volleyball team was. Like, it just... It's the norm. It's the norm. Yeah, that's what I realized. And, I mean, this show, Dance Moms, it was on for a little while. I don't think it's on anymore. It starred Abby Lee, who ran her own dance company. And it just kind of followed her, her dancers, and their moms around to, like, various competitions. And most of the adults on the show were train wrecks. (laughs) (laughs) Starting with Abby Lee, who did prison time. I mean, Abby Lee was definitely psychologically abusing these kids. It felt like. I mean, maybe a lot of this is played up for cameras. I think a lot of it is probably put up for cameras. It's good good TV. It's good editing. It's funny. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So the inspiration really was to kind of put a bad Santa type character into that world. Someone who was clearly unfit to be in charge of children. Like that was the idea. And then kind of milk that tension for comedy. And there's a long history of these types of films. You got your Bad News Bears. You got School of Rock. Major Pain. Major Pain. That's a good one. Uh, Bushwhacked with Daniel Stern. <laughs> Some of those movies are genuine classics, right? One of them is Bushwhacked. Oh, yeah. That's that's <laughs> such a classic movie. I, I don't even think I've even heard of it. With Daniel Stern? No. Where he takes... Like a bunch of Cub Scouts into the woods and he's wanted by the FBI. (laughs) Wait, I have heard about this. So, yeah, that was the type of film that we wanted to make in that vein. And I think we, I mean, not like Bushwhacks, (laughs) but, you know, more like a, you know, like a School of Rock, Bad Grandpa. And I think we knew Bad Teacher. Bad Teacher, there you go. And we knew right away that this was going to be an R-rated film. We were going to lean into that. We weren't going to hold back with the language. We did hold back with the nudity because I did not want nudity in the film. Yeah, there's no nudity in any of the strip club scenes. Mm-mm. So, I, I mean, in a lot of areas, we couldn't push it yeah. with with the dancing. You know, in respect to the dancing, we couldn't really push it. The only area where we could push it was with the language. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, we couldn't push it with the production value. We didn't have the money for that. Yeah, no. The only area we could push it is the language because <laughs> F-bombs are free. That's true. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's her character. Well, yeah, I wanted to make the comedy very that's specific Mel- to Melody's character. And so we established early on that this is a person without a filter. Yes. I wanted there to be that comedic tension where you don't know what's going to come out of her mouth next or who she's going to say in front of. And that's a lot of the humor that I get from, say, like a Kevin Smith comedy or a Judd Apatow comedy, where a lot of the dialogue is just absolutely profane and hilarious, assuming you're not like easily offended. <laughs> And that's kind of the target that we were aiming at, that that type of comedy. So by the summer of 2015, we had a script, and we started looking for lead actors. We quickly came across Brittany Cascone, who plays Melody Daniels. 
and she submitted a tape and just kind of went right to the top of the pack. Yeah, I mean, she was just awesome. There was it really was, no like second choice. There was once we saw her. It was her like all the way. It's not an easy role because it requires someone to, you know to not only have enough presence and comedic timing to hold a movie together, but someone who can also dance a variety of different styles. Yeah, convincingly. Yeah. This movie, this character, Melanie, she was a classically trained dancer. And we open the movie up with her as a kid doing a dance competition. Basically, um, yeah, winning her, winning. her dance recital. And then we cut to 20 years later, things happen in her life. And she she's on the pole making <laughs> it happen for her. I mean, she's taking care of herself and whoever, which way she wants to do it. We don't really know what brought her to that moment. She's working at a near-empty strip club. Yeah, it's, it's pretty pathetic where she is. <laughs> she has a lot of anger. Yeah. Going back to like Bad Santa, that's one of the remarkable things of that comedy is just how angry Billy Bob Thornton is. Like He has so much rage because <laughs> of just the direction his life has taken, and that's where so much of the comedy comes from. And so, yeah, we it, Melody definitely is disgruntled. I mean, definitely a chip on her shoulder, I yeah. guess you could say. So, yeah, we um, we were definitely lucky in that we got Brittany and that she was local to where we were going to be shooting. We opened it up across the country. We did, yeah. And we just, yeah, we lucked out w with Brittany. And um, so, yeah, we had the script. We have the lead actor. And now we needed the money. And so we did an Indiegogo campaign. We and did. And I think we were seeking around 30000 And we ended up netting around 800 Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Not, not a success. <laughs> and rightfully so. I mean, you and I are not social media gurus. We're not out there pushing our own personal social media stories. There's we we no, don't like, have thousands of followers. We don't. Unfortunately. I mean, we didn't back then. We don't now. We, we don't today. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just, I mean, it is what it is. And so I guess that's one little bit of advice. You know, if you're looking to raise money online indiegogo is one way to do it there's uh, many other ways there's a site called we funder where people can actually invest yeah. in, in your project and actually have points and so it's not just like they're giving something away uh there's a variety of ways to do it but if you're going to do it you do need a social media following to tap into you kind of do or yeah. some or it, some know. kind of network to tap into or have it be a project that is like a social awareness or something that you push I, a yeah. comedy where it's not really pushing a social agenda or it's not really helping anybody pay their bills, you know, emergency bills, right? Right. right. It, it was very difficult to get people into it. And that's, yeah, that, that's a lesson I learned. I guess I thought like if you just come up with a good enough pitch, you'll get the donations. And that's not true. Yeah. You, you do need a, a network to tap into. <laughs> You know, you learn lessons learned. You learn things the hard way. Yeah. Uh, you learned a number of lessons yeah. on this journey. And so, you know, at that point, it would have been easy to kind of throw in the towel. But instead, we cashed out our 401k. We did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was a smart move, but we, we definitely cashed out the 401k. It was around $23,000 at the time. And then we just started saving like every week and being able to have cash on hand. I think we had maybe 30 grand cash and then the rest of it was put on credit card. And that was about 20 grand put on credit card. 
And really, I didn't think tapping into a 401k was an option. And I mean, you presented it as an option. I'm just curious what uh, what your thinking was. My thinking was believing in my husband, believing in your talent, and believing that we could make this awesome movie and be a collaboration that you and I could have done together. But did you think like this concept had potential? I think it absolutely had potential. If it's something that I didn't think would have interested me as far as me watching something, because, you know, I, I take in a lot of media content. Like I am all up on Hulu, Netflix, you know, you name it. I'm, I've seen it. I've watched it or am watching it. I really thought that this idea that we had was a good one. Well, and that, I mean, that's really the move that enabled this movie to exist. Yeah. Without that move, I don't know what the next step forward for this would have been. So that's the move that can allowed this to continue moving forward and allowed us to move into casting and, you know, hiring a crew. Yeah. And with a non-union casting crew, that was enough cash to, you know, essentially pay for people's day rates. We, we, we paid people to, in cash. We did on the day. I mean, <laughs> it's a nice deal. It is. I mean, a lot of a lot of actors and a lot of you know crew members, especially in indie films, people appreciated being paid on the day because I think a lot of people were burned by sure. by productions not paying them. Yeah, be real wary. And yeah, so now we were casting up, we were crewing up, and in the screenplay. Uh, we have five kids that yeah. make up our dance troupe. Oh, that, this is fun. That Melody ends up coaching. And we actually went through two sets of kids. We did. We held auditions through a local dance company where we were actually going to shoot at this location and they were going to provide the dancers. And we held auditions. We went through headshots and we cast the kids. I, I think I remember we had to tell kids whether they made it or not. Do you remember this? And one of the kids cried? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we went through that whole process and we, we had our kids. It was five girls, I believe, because the it script was. originally was five yeah. girls. And so uh, then for whatever reason, the owner of the studio was like, hey, can I read the script now? <laughs> and I, I guess for some reason she hadn't. Prior to that, I, I don't know why. Well, no, she had the script. We I, th- gave I thought it she did. To her. We gave her the script. She just didn't read it. She was so excited for her kids to be a part of a movie okay. that she didn't read it. And then she I could have sworn she had the script from the beginning. And then she read it. And after. we told her like this is going to be like an R-rated comedy. There's yeah. going to be a lot of language. And, and then um, pulled the kids out as well as the studio. Yeah, she just completely withdrew. And it was like a month before we were supposed to f- start filming. This yeah. put us in like a holy shit moment. I'm not sure what the objection was. I guess the language. It was the language. But um, yeah, this was just like a few weeks out from filming. And yeah, that's five key actors and a major location just pulled. And <laughs> it was a real shit move. But ultimately, I think it was the right one. Because the kids that we got were a little bit older. I guess I don't remember like the previous group. Were they younger? They were younger. Okay. And that may have been an issue. But yeah, the, the kids we got were, I mean, like early teens, really, were most of the kids that we shot, uh, that we ended up casting. That we ended up casting. I yeah. think this group was probably around 8 to 12, okay. whereas our group was from 12 to 15. Yeah, that's a better range yeah. for this type of material. <laughs> and yeah, without that recasting, we wouldn't have had Austin in the film, who's the only boy in the dance group. 
who, who, in my opinion, he's actually an amazingly trained dancer. And all the kids are adults now. They're all adults. Yeah. They're yeah. all like 18 and up. One of the kids is now a, a cheerleader for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. So, yeah, they're all grown up now. And yeah, Austin, like we saw him dance on video and we're like, yeah, we can definitely work him into the script. And I feel like that inclusion brings a lot to that dynamic. It, it really does. And it brings a lot to the script, too, which is awesome. You couldn't really do that with the younger kids. And you really couldn't do that with all girl squad. Sometimes a burn turns out to be a blessing. It really was. I think in hindsight, it was a good call. Another burn was uh, the strip club that we were going to shoot at pulled out, I believe, like less than two weeks out from filming. And that was our first day of filming. Well, yeah, they agreed. And then they just completely disappeared. There was, right? Yeah, literally no explanation. Like one day I could get them on the phone and go over logistics. And then the next I couldn't. And that was really that was the, the hardest location to secure that strip club. And I remember us going all like pretty much all over southern Florida. Oh, gosh, going to strip clubs in the middle of the afternoon, trying to speak with managers. Oh, that <laughs> was fun. No, well, yeah, we weren't there for like, fun. for kicks. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, yeah, I mean, turns out strip club managers aren't the most reliable people wow. to be doing business with. And eventually we did get a location. But the catch was that we only had like six hours yeah. to film or then we'd be kicked out. And so that means we had six hours to shoot four dance numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so every scene you see in the film that's set inside the strip club. That was done in one day. It, it was shot in six hours. Yeah. I mean, a, like a fraction of a day. So, uh, yeah. So we start filming that November. And the total number of crew members, including us, came to about like six or seven, depending on the day. I was operating camera. We had an AD, the assistant director. We had an AC, assistant camera, and a PA and a sound technician. Yeah. But as far as just key crew members, it was really, really thin, really tight. And we were lucky in that our AD and our AC both had the same camera that we did, which is the Sony FS100. Yeah. And it's kind of like a poor man's red. <laughs> you could call it. I mean, it's a pretty expensive camera. Well, I mean, compared for... to the red. Well, yeah. It's, it's a, but it, it's a good camera. Yeah. And so, yeah, the majority of the production was a two camera shoot, sometimes up to three cameras for the dance numbers. And it really helped cut down on filming time. And we filmed for 26 days in South Florida. And those 26 days were spread out over three months. And that gave us a chance to kind of regroup and prep in between shoot days. Well, and another challenge was when you work with kids, you have to only work eight hours a day. They can't work during school hours. There are a lot of different challenges, which made us, we were only allowed to film and work with them during the weekend. Is that right? That's right. And so, yeah, I think like then during the week. We had to do everything else. Right. And some days during the week, I mean, we not filming, just prepping. Mm -hmm. And at the end of any filming day, you're pretty exhausted. And so if you have to go right back into it the next morning and you're kind of running on fumes, you're wearing all these different hats, it's easy to make a slip up. That's why, it, again, it was important for me to scheduling wise to have like those buffers yeah. in between filming days. I mean, luckily, we didn't have any, you know, guns on set or anything like that. So it wasn't that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, there's no like heavy stunt work or anything mm -mm. like that. <laughs> I mean, and all the kids were, were, I mean, they all were dancers. It was choreographed. The routines were choreographed professionally in a dance studio. 
was it the the dance studio owner who did the choreography? Yeah. Was yeah. it Ashley, Ashley. Becknow? Yeah, okay. Ashley Becknow. Paramount Dance Studio. She choreographed all the kids dancing. Yep. And it's hip hop dancing. Yeah. It's pretty traditional hip hop dancing. It is, yes. Because I just, I knew when I was writing it, we definitely don't want to cross that line. And so I need to kind of set a key point as far as what the line is. And that line was going to be Austin. You know, making it rain. Making it rain. And in the film, he like pulls out Monopoly money. Yeah. And he makes it rain on an empty stage. Well, and at that part where it starts to get like that, we cut it. That, 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 was, that was the moment in the yeah. script. Like, this is the line that's being drawn. Yeah. And that was going to trigger our other key characters yeah. to pull the plug on the show yes. as soon as they see that. Like, so in the script, it was always written like, that's the line. But yeah, the overall actual filming went pretty smoothly. It really kind of did. Like, we didn't really have any big hiccups. I mean, we did have to replace our sound guy. I mean, a couple crew members kind of came in and out. I mean, that's uh, that's fine. Um, and that happens. It's normal. It's normal on a set. My memory is that, like, any day involving, like, cars or vans was kind of a bitch. Yeah. You know, we're not doing any green screens or anything. Like, we're looping cars around neighborhoods over and over and doing takes and resetting. But, you know, by the end of the shoot, it was a pretty well-oiled machine, it, it felt like. It felt like we got to that point. And so the way the timing worked out, right after filming, you and I, we moved to Atlanta. Literally right after. <laughs> and then... I remember I moved, you went up before me. I moved before you because you got a commercial shoot after that. Yeah. Um, that you had and to stay. And then after the commercial, I went right up. And then we went to Jamaica. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it was it, a crazy... Yeah, and, and my day job, um, I, I'm in sales and I'm pretty good at what I do. And so, which is, we've been blessed to be able to do our own projects. But yeah, it was, we did our, my company president's club. And so this is all just like days after wrapping this film. So it was, yeah, it was a busy time period. It, it's, it's amazing that we were able to even squeeze this film in. So yeah, all the editing was basically done here in Georgia. Yeah. And I was editing really just to save money. Which I wouldn't recommend if you're making a feature film. You know, I've I've made over like a dozen short films prior to this. Uh, you know, I've edited all of them. Editing a feature is a, a different beast than <laughs> editing a short. And so, yeah, uh, if you're making a feature film, hire an editor. Uh, just g give yourself a break. <laughs> hire an editor and hire a good sound guy. Treat your sound with the same priority as you would your picture. Oh, yeah. As would be my advice. I mean, because oh, yeah. filmmakers, we think visually, right? Like our imagination, you know, the stories we imagine. You know, we think in terms of clear visuals. And you kind of sometimes think of sound secondary. Uh, at least I think that's a common mistake. And you don't really realize until you're in editing mm -hmm. that picture and sound are equally important. And just how vital the sound is to supporting the picture. <laughs> and and if you don't care about your sound. Have, have professionals who know what they're doing. Well, I mean, if you don't care about your sound throughout the filming, then make sure you have a, an, a studio, an audio studio where you can voice you'll it be, in. You'll be paying for it in post. Yeah. Yeah. But during the editing thing, how many times did our, our software like die, crash? I mean, how many times do you have to re-edit this thing? It wasn't so much re-editing. I had to recolor it recolor a, a number of times because during like the interim between like when we had the rough cut and to when we finished it, one of the plugins I was using in Final Cut, uh, I believe it expired and the project file got corrupted and it had to be rebuilt as an XML file. 
And so, yeah, it had to be recolored several times. And yeah, again, hire an editor. (laughs) Just hire an editor. But on this film, I was the editor. And we had a rough cut within uh, about three months, which is about normal turnaround. Yeah. And so with our rough cut ready, we started submitting to festivals. We submitted literally to dozens. I'm not sure the exact final number, but it was a lot. And each submission costs money. So you're spending hundreds in this process. And we got into one, the Marietta International Film Festival, Mm -hmm. which at the time was in its second year. And I mean, this isn't a super high profile festival. No, but it was in a, a cute little theater. I mean, like, I love it. Very nice theater. Yeah. And look, I mean, we were nominated for five awards, and we won Best Director. Well, which, you won Best Director. Well, I look at it as like the film won yeah. Best Director. I mean, all that really gives you laurels that you can put in your advertising, you know? Absolutely. It gives you a little bit of marketing leverage. A little bit of cred. A little bit of cred. It's like those laurels kind of say instinctively, like, this isn't porn. There's a little <laughs> bit of... Artistic integrity there you to go. what you're about to see. You're yeah. not watching porn. <laughs> yeah, so we played at that festival. We got some laurels, and that's great. Um, but, you know, I would trade those laurels in for, like, a, an actual distribution deal <laughs> any day of the fucking week. <laughs> like, that's the real value on the yeah. festival circuit is partnering with a distributor yeah. who's going to help you with marketing. And, you know, I remember our screening, which was a prime slot on a Saturday night, being maybe like two thirds empty. Yeah. Which was very discouraging. And that really, that ended up being our only real public screening of this. No, we had Fort Lauderdale. We got it. It screened again at the Fort Lauderdale. We weren't, we weren't at that. We weren't there, screening. but our, our, I guess our I should say, was. I guess I should say like our only public competitive screening. Yeah. And really, I guess the only public screening you and I were at. Yes. But yeah, it did play twice, technically. And, you know, it's unfortunate because we made this film really to be watched with a group. Comedies usually play a lot better when you're watching it seated around other people who are laughing. Those are the best conditions to watch a comedy. But that was all that we got. And we continued to submit to other festivals and we continued to get rejections. Well, I think we didn't realize, you know, with short films, because we've had some success with um, getting into multiple festivals, you know, Gasparilla and all that with our short films. But with a feature film, it takes a lot more time, a lot more minutes. So, Well, it's a matter of math. Like festivals only have so many slots. And with a short film, they have more slots. So technically speaking, your odds are a little better with a short film. But yeah, I'd like to address, I guess, one of the biggest miscalculations I made on this film, which is I thought that if we made a movie that was simply funny enough, that would be enough to get us onto the festival circuit and have a number of screenings, like at least like three screenings. And if we have a strong enough public screening, that would attract interest from indie distributors. I mean, probably someone low level, but someone who would agree to partner with us in getting the film out there and helping to market it. Because if someone's seated in one of those public screenings and the movie's playing and audiences are laughing, you can see right then and there the movie's working. Yes. But we um, we didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> those hopes did not pan out. And we really only budgeted to get the film into a rough cut. Yeah. We, so that was a big miscalculation. It was. We didn't really have but budget at the time, left over for marketing and distribution. You know, again, I mean, we had moved states. You know, we had just wrapped this film that we financed ourselves. Uh, You know, we were pretty tapped at this time. 
And so after we got our last festival rejection, we were stuck with an unfinished movie and no distribution, which is not where you want to be. You know, some festivals you don't really expect that you're going to get into. Like Sundance, you submit to it, you yeah. know, but it's just you know like it's a, a long shot. Passage. You know, it's a real long <laughs> shot. But there are some that you feel like you have a legitimate shot at. And yeah. I remember feeling like I think it was a Chicago comedy festival. The Chicago comedy thought... festival that was a that was a big one. Yeah. I had hopes on because it's a comedy festival, and we just made it very like pure, straight up comedy. And the other one was the Atlanta Underground. Not the Atlanta Film Festival, the, the Atlanta Underground Film Festival. I figured we have a pretty good shot there. And no, we don't. <laughs> and so, yeah, there are certain rejections where it's like, well, if we didn't get into that place, we probably didn't get in any place. <laughs> but I'm so grateful that we got into Marietta. I know. Seriously. That was, that was great. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. A major piece of advice I would give to any indie filmmaker out there is to not pin your hopes on any particular film festival. You know, I really thought making this like we would have a shot at the fantastic film festival in Austin. Yeah. But then again, even a couple of years ago, streaming wasn't catching on yet. So now people make an independent film. They're targeting streaming. They're not targeting to get into the film festivals. At least under $500,000 well, every budgets. Every movie ends up streaming, right? Every movie, no matter how big, you know, even Eternals, like Dune, Shang-Chi, they all end up thumbnails on a, on a streaming gallery. Yep. Like, we, we all end up in the same place. The point of festivals is to put a spotlight on your film. That's true. And to get it reviewed yeah. and to get it screened and to get people talking about it so that when it does end up that thumbnail, people know what it is and they're inclined to click on it. I mean, the festival circuit now, it's its all films that we already know that's coming out. Getting it, into a festival, is, it, it's hard. And the odds are not great no. for anyone. And I would argue it's a lot harder than it should be. You know, I'm biased, but I feel like a movie like ours should have had a better shot on the circuit. We, we should have had at least a, like another another screening, yeah. I, I feel like. But we, we did not. <laughs> so just filmmakers yeah just have your full plan and submit the most polished version that you can but just don't bank on it like being able to bring your movie across the finish line yeah i mean you want to have all these deals and all these things set up before you actually film have a distribution strategy yeah yeah when you're when you are setting out from the beginning have that distribution strategy don't bank on winning the lottery at the festival circuit <laughs> Yeah, so at this point, uh, having worked on the film kind of exhaustively over the course of the past year and a half, I was feeling a little burnt out on the project. And so I took some time away from it. Yeah. You know, in that meantime, we started this podcast. You know, those technical issues that we talked about, that definitely caused some delays. But really, the gap of time between when we shot and when we finally finished, I attribute to myself being profoundly discouraged by the vast number of rejections from festivals that we submitted to. It was a major deterrent. Uh, but you got to snap out of it. You do. Right? And so early this year, for whatever reason, I decided the movie couldn't just sit on the hard drive anymore. I mean, thank God. Well, having, you know? having an unfinished movie weighs heavily on you because it's such a major investment. So, yeah, that time period where not much was getting done with the movie was, I mean, it sucked. <laughs> it's, that's not the scenario you want to be in. Where like your movie's unfinished, you don't know how you're going to finish it. So yeah, basically finishing this movie, it involved uh, me renting a short-term office where I set up an editing station and just kind of working by myself uh, for about the length of like six months, trying to clean up the audio 
and give this a balanced 5.1 surround mix because the audio we had was very inconsistent. This is a low budget indie. We're shooting on location. We're dealing with ambient noises. Some audio sounded fine. Some audio didn't. And some audio was like a mix. Sounded okay. Some lines are okay and then it gets bad. And that's not a knock against our sound guys. I mean, we got what we paid for, I feel like. And so, yeah, just to reiterate, treat your sound with the same priority as you treat your picture and just have that mentality from the beginning of your project. So now we're in August and we finally got the movie locked. And, you know, the audio, it's not perfect, but hopefully it's natural enough not to pull you out of the film. And now we have to get it ready for online distribution. We chose Amazon Prime, even though Prime Video doesn't really pay anything. (laughs) I'm so grateful that it's on there because it puts us into tens of millions of homes. It does. People can stream the film without paying anything. Yeah. They just need to be curious. So to get a movie on to one of these streaming platforms, you have to provide certain deliverables, which includes the movie file itself, plus a trailer, plus key art, usually in two different dimensions, and captions. And so getting these elements ready to be submitted along with the film, it took some time. It was done entirely on our own, uh, except for the captions. We outsourced the captions, but everything else, all the key art, all the promos, all the clips, that was done by us. Yes. And the approval process for Prime Video, it took about three weeks. And so that, like, all during that time, you really, you have no idea, like, what's going <laughs> is it on. Gonna, is it going to be accepted? Is yeah. It not? Like, you have no idea. Like, yeah, is this going to be approved or not? You just know that it's under review. And so that was a bit of a nail biter. But the movie, yeah, it finally did get approved. And now we have to market it. We created a number of 15 and 30 second ads. The goal was to have them play in people's social media feeds. And, you know, the clip would end directing them to watch the film on Amazon. We should say we're not marketing experts. Nope. We have minimal experience in marketing a product. (laughs) We're not marketing experts. We're not distribution experts. Like, this is all kind of new territory for us. And we're kind of learning as we go. But we were successful in getting ads to play on Twitter. And I'll just describe the first ad. It was 15 seconds long. And it was just highlighting two dialogue exchanges in the film. And these two exchanges, I felt, kind of summed up the attitude and the plot of the film. Yeah. Kind of communicated very quickly what this film is about and what the movie's vibe is. The first exchange is Hazel asking Melody, are you a dancer? To which Melody replies, of course I'm a dancer. You think you get an ass this good just from sitting in an office? The second exchange was one of the dance moms shouting, I don't want my daughter taking dance lessons from a fucking stripper with the F word beeped out. Yes. So that was the first 15 second ad that we put out. And the platform that it got promoted on was Twitter. And it ran on Twitter and it must have gone right out to the Proud Boys because within five (laughs) minutes, you and I were getting death threats. We were. And people, people accusing us of exploiting children and comparing us to the film Cuties. Cuties is a French film that came out last year. It played at Sundance. It garnered positive reviews. And it received a whole lot of controversy when it debuted on Netflix. Rightfully so. I have not seen it. But you did watch it, mainly to understand what exactly people were comparing us to. Uh, People who had only seen our 15-second ad. (laughs) And um, I remember you telling me that the movie made you feel unclean. Yes. Talk about the film. So, I mean, the film is really, 
I mean, the, the movie's a satire, right? It's not supposed to be taken... It doesn't seem like a satire. It seems like it's a drama. It's supposed to bring attention to girls and social media. But it has that dance component to it. And it's really about this conservative girl who... Grow, I mean, she's an 11-year-old girl who grows up in a conservative environment, in a Muslim environment... Her dad is getting married to his second wife. I mean, there is a whole bunch of things. So she is trying to break out of that. She sees the hurt in her mom. She doesn't like what's going on. So she's she's trying to rebel. And this 11-year-old girl sees another 11-year-old girl in her building. And the girl is dancing. And she's dancing hip-hop or dancing salsa or whatever. And then she wants to go and she wants to join this dance team at her school because they dance provocatively. They're trying to win a competition and they use social media to help grow their their following. Why do you think the movie kicked up so much controversy? They, it's the, the actual the, content. It's the way the, the girls are photographed. Yeah, the girls... That's the problem. ...start sexing it up because they see that maybe an older dance crew is very sexual and wearing provocative clothing. And so they start trying to mimic that and they start wearing makeup and they start wearing these crop tops and wearing these short skirts and, you know, all of these things. And they're trying to create these videos to get more likes and more things and people start following them. And then like the camera angles, it was in, you know, areas where I'm just like, oh, my God, like I can't unsee this. At the beginning, it was a little tamer. And I was like, okay, well, this at the beginning, I'm like, this isn't that bad. And then it just gradually got so much worse. You can watch clips of cuties out of context, and you can know right away that there's a problem because of just the point of view of where the camera's at yes. and what the subject is doing. Yes. So the movie was made in France. Maybe, you know, certain things that maybe fl- fly in France, they, they don't really fly here. No. So the controversy was with merit. That said, those filmmakers got harassed. They had their lives threatened. Filmmakers don't deserve their lives threatened. No. Uh, no, no matter how offensive you find their film. But the film is still out there on Netflix. Netflix, still on Netflix. Didn't, didn't take it down. When I see something offensive that I don't like, I'm usually able to just move on and just not watch it. (laughs) Like, our movie is not cuties. It's not. We're not teaching kids how to strip dance. I mean, I think that's the end. Our movie's not. It's it's not a coming of age story about like kids' sexual awakenings. No, for starters, it's not. It's 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 focus on melody. It's not really. I mean, it's It's a story of 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 an adult fuck up who gradually, maybe, kinda gets her life together. That that's I mean that's the arc that we're tracking. We don't even know these kids outside of her interactions with them. Yes, we don't follow these kids. We don't no. get into their personal life. Like this is not the kids' story. I, I mean the the only offensive thing that these kids were exposed to was bad language while making this film. Yes, they did not go to the strip club. They did not. Yeah, there's you know, no scenes with the kids in the strip no. club. And again, we were aware of what we were doing. And I feel like the movie draws the line pretty early with that because we get into a montage where Melody starts to like crawl around on the floor and really get into it. And the kids stop dancing. The kids just stare and look horrified. Away. Yeah. And they're, they're horrified. Like, oh, my God. What is she doing? And that's the movie kind of saying we're not we're not going to go there. So we draw that line early. And we I mean, we draw it very clearly. 
So yeah, this was quite an insane attack that you and I got. These people targeted our business account, yeah. the bird's eye account, which ran the ad, and then they targeted our personal accounts. We got a lot of images of wood chippers, people telling us to jump inside a wood chipper, or they would feed us into one, people telling us we're the devil. One man just point blank said, I hope your business fails. Yeah. This is really insane, terrible stuff for anyone to be doing all over a fucking movie promo. But at, at a positive turn uh, on this, I mean, it kind of went viral. So got it, a lot it of, boosted the traffic it did. for sure. So, <laughs> I mean, thanks. <laughs> we knew back in 2015 when we were preparing to make this that it wasn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. We knew that the premise alone, you know, we were walking a fine line, like I've said. And I grew up in an ultra conservative home. I know how sensitive people can be to really bad language. And we weren't going to make concessions. For those people, the movie is what it is. It's got a lot of bad language. Yes. But a wake-up call for me was when I was telling my mom about the insane attack that we got. And I'm like, hey, these people, they think we made a movie about kids pole dancing, which is not what this movie is. And my mom was like, it's not. <laughs> it's like okay and it's like, it's like have, it have, have you been thinking for the past several years that your son made a movie about kids pole dancing <laughs> yeah i mean i guess in people's defense when we started marketing it we didn't go out of our way to explicitly say this is not a movie about kids stripping yes because honestly i didn't think they would go we, that we needed to make yeah. that distinction because who in the fuck would make a movie like that enter cuties there you go. Cuties <laughs> paved the way for that kind of rage. Yes. To people just target that rage. I mean, look, it, it's okay to think that our movie is trash and that the concept is morally offensive. I mean, I disagree with you, but that's a valid take. Yeah. What's not okay is targeting us with death threats and accusing us of criminal activity. Yeah. That's not okay. Even though it's a raunchy, lowbrow comedy, I still feel nothing but pride about what we accomplished yeah. with this film. Because we made the movie that we set out to make. And that doesn't always happen. Even though people's attitudes towards comedy has changed in you know, the five or six years that it took well, to I finish think, this. I think people people <laughs> are, are getting more prudish. People are... We're definitely regressing. We definitely are regressing as a society. We're going, on, we're going back to the puritanical way on, of treating people. On one hand, I understand why we're so humorless these days. The earth is cooking fascism is on the rise it really feels like there's a dystopia around the corner every other month not a lot to laugh or joke about these days but you know we we did not expect death threats no did not <laughs> because again there's just, there's a tradition of these type of movies i mean two years ago there's a movie called good boys where you've got preteens using anal beads as nunchucks Oh, yeah. A hilarious movie. Yeah. I don't remember those filmmakers getting fucking death threats. No. Because they have preteens in adult situations or, cursing or, like sailors. Or Little Miss Sunshine, where she's literally on the pole dancing. The climax for yeah. Bad Grandpa, it ends with a young boy in drag as a girl pole dancing while her grandpa makes it rain. Yeah. It, it was a huge hit. Did those filmmakers get death threats? <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I mean, we can still laugh, right? Like, we, we can still recognize a comedy and differentiate being offended by something versus a crime was committed. Yeah. 
being offended by something does not mean that a crime was committed. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. And then people assumed off of 15 they were, seconds. They were two things that continued to resonate with me. One was the speed at which the attack happened. It was lightning quick. And when I say attack, I mean, we're talking about maybe half a dozen right-wing QAnon lunatics. Really, this, this was not like a major attack, but no. it was several people who were very angry. So yeah, the speed and then the rage. They were so angry. They just they went to like the worst possible assumption and accusing us of the worst thing you can accuse someone of off of a movie ad. Yeah. <laughs> and like they all got their accounts suspended cuz yeah, don't fucking threaten people's lives on social media. It was it was insane and we took a a trip for for my We're planning we were about to go on a vacation when this attack yeah. happened. So yeah, it was and like we couldn't like, sleep. No, I mean it was it was, bad. it was horrible. Don't do that to people. Don't threaten people's lives. It's insane. I mean, despite you know the ups and downs, I'm still grateful that we took this journey. Me too. I I wouldn't take it because the movie away exists for anything. Yeah, the movie exists, and that's really that's that's the big reward at the end of this long journey. It's not fame or fortune. <laughs> it's, we you know we didn't get to travel the world showing this film. The reward for us is that the movie exists and people can watch it. People can watch it. And that's Amen. all you can ask for. There you go. So let's just do our standard question here. Is Tiny Dancer is a good date movie? I think it is. I think it's not for the the faint of heart, though. I mean, like, you really have to go in and say, hey, it's a rated R comedy. As but, long as you and your date aren't Amish. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a better date movie than like Bad Santa. I don't consider Bad Santa like a great date no, movie. No, I wouldn't. Tiny Dancers is a better date movie than Bad Santa. Bad Santa doesn't have a lot of uh, fee like. There's like one woman he wouldn't like that. I mean, I don't think yeah. I've Bad Santa is not necessarily on my top sure. of <laughs> my movie list. Yeah. No, I think, it, it, yeah, there's definitely more, I think, uh, appeal for women with Tiny Dancers. We've gotten a lot more positive reviews from women most on the, this movie. Most of the people who attacked us were dudes who yeah. are media illiterate. So <laughs> women have rated it highly. Yes, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, but um, I think it's a movie, yeah, men and women can enjoy. At the center of the film, there's kind of a love triangle between Melody and, you know, the two dudes. Yep. So yeah, definitely a good date movie to watch, you know, at home on the couch, snuggle up, have a laugh. And, and it's only an hour and what, 20 minutes? It's an 80 minute movie. Yeah. That feels like it's 70 minutes there because there's go. 10 minutes of credits. <laughs> there you go. And if you're watching the film and you're like, how come there's a single credit that's on screen for five minutes? Patting it out to 80. Because <laughs> 80 looks better than 70. There you go. That's Tiny Dancers, directed by Patrick Russell. You can find more episodes at anchor.fm slash night, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter at dnmoviepodcast, and you can also email us at datenightmoviepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Ashley. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thank you.
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 